tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law were whispering among themselves. They said, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a story. He said, Suppose one of you has 100 sheep, sheep and loses one of them. Won't he leave 99 in the open country? Won't he go and look for the one lost sheep till he finds it? When he finds it, he will joyfully put it on his shoulders and go home. Then he will call his friends and neighbors together. He will say, Be joyful with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, it will be the same in heaven. There will be great joy when one sinner turns away from his sins. Yes, there will be more joy than for 99 godly people who do not need to turn away from their sins. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls all her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is only there is only rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. continue uh, the story from Luke 15 uh, in the Jesus Storybook Bible from page 272, Running Away. Jesus told the story about a boy who ran away. Once upon a time, there was a boy and his dad. Now one day, the boy gets to thinking, maybe if I didn't have my dad around telling me what is good for me all the time, I'd be happier. He's spoiling my fun, he thinks. Does my dad really want me to be happy? Does my dad really love me? The son never thought of that before, but suddenly he doesn't know anymore. So the son goes to his father and says, Dad, I'm better off without you. I can look after myself. Just give me my share of your money. His father is sad, but he won't force his boy to stay. So he gives his son what he wants. The son takes the money and goes on a long, long journey to a far-off country. And everything's wonderful and perfect for a while. He can go wherever he wants, do whatever he wants, be whoever he wants. He is the boss. He is free. Sometimes he gets a strange, hungry, homesick feeling inside his heart. But then he just eats more or drinks more or buys more clothes, or goes to more parties, until it goes away. But soon, his money runs out, and so do his friends. He ends up getting the only job he can find, feeding pigs. One day, he is so hungry and so desperate, he even tries some piggy food. What am I doing, he says suddenly, as if he has woken up from a nightmare. He spits, yuck, all of it, ick, out of his mouth. My father is rich, and here I am in a pigsty eating piggy food. He wipes off his mouth, dusts himself off. I'm going home. As he starts for home, though, he begins to worry. 
dad won't love me anymore. I've been too bad. He won't want me for his son anymore. So he practices his I'm sorry speech. All this time, what he doesn't know is that day after day, his dad has been standing on his porch, straining his eyes, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. He just can't stop loving him. He longs for the sound of his boy's voice. He can't be happy until he gets him back. The sun is still a long way off, but his dad sees him coming. What will his dad do? Fold his arms and frown, shout, that'll teach you, and just you wait, young man. No, that's not how this story goes. The dad leaps off the porch, races down the hill, through the gap in the hedge, up the road, before his son can even begin his I'm sorry speech, his dad runs to him, throws his arms around him, and can't stop kissing him. Let's have a party, his dad shouts. My boy is home. He ran away. I lost him, but now I have him back. Jesus told them, God is like the dad who couldn't stop loving his boy. And people are like the son who said, does my dad really want me to be happy? Jesus told people this story to show them what God is like and to show people what they are like so they could know however far they ran, however well they hid, however lost they were, it wouldn't matter because God's children could never run too far or be too lost for God to find them. Please join me in praying over uh, our message this morning from Pastor Steve. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning and pray that you open our hearts and our minds to your word as Pastor Steve uh, gives us a sermon this morning. Please speak through him that we may learn more about you and be stronger in our faith and desire to live out your will. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever lost anything? There we are. Anyone? I do. So my wife for my birthday gave me some things because I happened to misplace my keys quite a lot. Um, actually, I have two sets of keys, one for one car, one for the other car. And I happened to misplace my wallet, which I don't even have on me right now. But oh man, is it a joy when I when I go and I end up finding that thing. And so now there's this little tile that I can just hit a button and it starts singing and chirping in another room so I can, I can find it. The joy of finding things. I heard a story, um, well, it was a friend of mine that told it to me about our friend group. This was before Emily and I or any of our friends had any kids. So this is, I don't know how long ago quite a while ago, a group of our friends went out to the lake to spend some time together, to have some fun. And in the midst of, of the fun, in the throwing the frisbee or throwing the football, doing all these things, one of our friends realized that his wedding band slipped off his hand and was in the lake somewhere. 
So there everybody was, a bunch of men and a bunch of women, waist deep somewhere in this lake and just searching down on the ground to try to find this ring. I think you call that a needle in a haystack, right? You're looking for this small object in this vast area. Maybe you generally know where it is, but one by one, the people are like, well, it's about time for us to leave, you know, let's just go. And our friend Alec, he, he was still out there. He was still out there searching waist deep, and he was getting frustrated because his friend didn't have his wedding ring. And so in one last ditch effort of frustration, he took his hand and he just slammed it down into the sand to pick it up, pick up one more piece of the lake. And as the sand started falling through his fingers, there it was, the wedding band. Joy of finding things. I'm pretty sure our other friend was pretty excited about finding his wedding band. But I don't think it compares to the joy that God has when celebrating lost things. Now when I say lost things, it's because Jesus shared three stories about lost things right in a row. We had Levi and Logan read one, uh, two of them. And Mindy read the other. The first lost thing was a lost sheep. The second lost thing was a lost coin. And now today's scripture passage is, you could say, the lost son. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 11 because Levi and Logan read verses 1 through 10. It says here, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not longer after that, the younger son got together all he had, sent off for a distant country where they starved on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, one of, one of, make me uh, like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me. have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Celebrating the lost things. As Jesus often does with his parables, he takes the opportunity to point the finger, his finger, or God's finger, you could say, at someone. And this time... It is the Pharisees. In those first ten verses that Levi and Logan read, it started out that, that Jesus was hanging around with the wrong people. He was hanging around with the sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered that he, they always gather with him. He always gathers with the wrong type of crowd. We had a sermon a couple weeks back, oh, maybe it was last week, now I'm forgetting, on Zacchaeus, Jesus once again hanging around with the wrong type of crowd. That story comes later on here in Luke. But so Jesus takes the opportunity to point the finger, point his finger at the Pharisees because they're not joyful in celebrating when the lost things are found. And so Jesus does three stories in a row. The found sheep, the man who loses one out of 99 and goes and takes and searches for that one sheep. And, and when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulder and he comes back to where all the other sheep were and he exclaims out to the other people, uh, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Directly following that story, there's the story about the widow or the lady with ten coins and she loses one of them. And so she, she like any of us, would sweep high and low through our house letting no square inch of floor space or cupboard or closet 
or drawer go unturned to find the coin. And when she finds it, it's the same words as verse 6. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Rejoice with me. Because the proper response for finding something that was once lost is celebration. So you would assume that when you get to the next story, where Jesus elaborates a little bit more, where he talks about this lost person, this son who who goes away, he squanders half of the wealth of his father, and he comes back asking to be a servant, you would expect celebration would be the response. You would expect that the loving father would want to celebrate his lost son coming home. And he does. And most sermons are written in this passage about the lost son. We, we often call this passage the prodigal son, right? The, the prodigal who left and comes back. And we, we talk about the son who left and the father who is loving all the time and receives him back, but we're not going to do that today. Because the parable could have another name. You could call it the the prodigal son, or the the lost son, because it's the third in the series of lost things. You could call it the loving father, but instead we're going to call it the parable of the grudging, angry brother. And we're going to talk about the brother on the outside because that is the outlier in all three of these stories. Jesus was talking about celebration and we have someone who is disinterested in celebrating and that's one of the main purposes of this parable or these sets of parables is to point that finger at the older brother unwilling to celebrate, point the finger at the Pharisees. The older brother sticks out like a, like a sore thumb in this passage when you look at it in light of all three. And we can see how, how this whole frustration with the older brother and the younger brother begins with familial tension brotherly tension, sibling rivalry and tension. I won't ask if any of you have ever had tension within your families with brothers or sisters, parents or anything. I just assume everyone would raise their hand, right? There is something about sibling tension that just happens. Sometimes it happens when we don't want it to happen. Sometimes We may poke and prod and cause it to happen. But we have this sibling tension because this younger brother basically asked for half of the dad's wealth before the dad was even gone. And he goes off and he wasted, and the older brother's like, I have been here the entire time. Why would I go in there when this brother, this son of yours, comes back? 
forceful words, not only does he not recognize the younger son as his brother, he doesn't even call him his brother. Sometimes you might do that at times. I, I, I recall when one of our children doesn't have a quality that I think's in myself, I'll say something along the lines of, Wemley, that son of yours, where do you think he gets that from, right? Uh, accusatory, I guess, right? And it's a kind of a forceful thing when you have the older brother talking to his dad and says, that son of yours, not even willing to call him a sibling. I'm not going to go in there because that son of yours, he did this, but I was here. I was here. I was doing all the right things. I was obeying every order. I never asked for anything, and you come in and you invite him back into the house? How can you do that? I'm not going to go in there and celebrate. Could you give him a ring and give him a cloak and the fattened calf? You didn't even give me a goat. And yet, as much as there's accusations and frustrations, the loving father remains. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us how the father reacts. The father doesn't point out or accuse the brother. The father doesn't do anything like that because the entire time he has been a gracious and loving father. Gracious even to the younger son when the younger son wanted him to essentially die and give him half the wealth. The father didn't argue. He was gracious, compassionate, merciful, and said, here you go, be on your way. When the son, younger son realized he wasn't living in the right ways, the father continued to be gracious and loving and merciful, seeking out and hoping his son would come back and running to him to restore him as a full member of the family. And now the father is gracious and merciful to the other son, the older brother, not accusing him, but instead saying, Son, everything I have is yours. You need not, not worry because this is all, all of yours. Stop. You don't need to be frustrated at your younger brother because you've always had me. I think if we think about this story in light of the Pharisees. We would say that what the sinners and tax collectors, that's the younger brother, right? Um, the older brother would be the Pharisees, and the father would be God. See, the, the, the Pharisees, the older brother, you could say, grew up with, with one way of realizing you're right with God. The Pharisees believed that there was really only one way that you needed to live your life to be able to have God count you as one of his. 
to essentially almost earn God's love, you needed to live in a way that followed God's one path, and you don't deviate from it, you don't stray from it, you follow the purity laws, and you follow the law, you follow the Ten Commandments, you follow all of the extra laws that they had developed. That is the way you follow God. And so seeing this guy that is Jesus, maybe the representation of the Father, wanting to hang out with these people, they're thinking, no! That is not how it works. They're, they're frustrated because they had this mentality that they earned God's love and they earned their inheritance of life with God by following each rule. And here Jesus, offering love, care, and concern for these people that have no regard for God. He's hanging out with those sinners and tax collectors again. I can't even believe he would do that. How would God want to love them? The reality is, it was a shift in their understanding, moving from what we saw as an old covenant to a new covenant. But the thing that continued to remain the same among both of those covenants is that you really don't earn God's love and grace. How did God choose Israel to be his followers? They weren't the biggest nation. They weren't the most amazing people. Scripture even talks about that. Instead, he chose them for himself by his own accord, just like he would choose anyone else, to love anyone else. That's why we see why it rains on the just and the unjust, why we see people who we would say aren't Christian that have massive amounts of wealth. Because God's love and his care are not determined on those things. And Jesus is trying to tell that to the Pharisees. You didn't earn God's love even when you thought you were living through the law the best you could. Because God's love and his grace comes from him alone. Not from any outside source. So Jesus was fulfilling God's kingdom purposes within their eyes. And the Pharisees were just begrudging, like the brother, unwilling to see how Jesus was extending his love, his grace, and expanding his kingdom into a people that had not been interested before. People like Zacchaeus, people like the sinners and tax collectors that he would often frequent. I wonder where we would be in this story. Well, we're certainly not the father. Let me tell you, we're not the father. Oftentimes, you know, in the CRC, I don't think that we're the younger son very often. Maybe sometimes. Sometimes we're the younger son that, that went off and, and did wild things and whatnot, but then came back to God. But more often or not, we are in the position of the begrudging brother because we're the types of people that 
well, your faith story is kind of like, well, tell me your faith story. I don't know. I've always been a Christian. And that's not bad. But we are in this camp where we, but I've always gone to church on Sunday, twice on Sunday until they remove the evening service. Let me remind you that because that earns something. You know, I've always gone to Wednesday groups. I've always gone to Bible studies. I've always done this. I've never killed anybody. But here we come and we want to give grace to those people. This is where we find ourselves. Because the thing is, you can tell how much you understand about grace by your willingness to give it. People love receiving grace. I love it because, man, I can screw up doing this, that, or the other thing. And when people say, hey, Steve, it's okay. I forgive you for that. I even had it just a couple weeks ago. I was removing a lid after church. Emily had made some food, and I removed the lid and I removed it like this, and then some of the hot water dripped down. I don't remember if it was Peyton or Cohen. And I said, I'm sorry. And they said, Dad, I forgive you. You understand more about grace by how much you give it. So how willing are we, as people often associated with this side, willing to extend the grace that we've received from the Father. Recognizing that, that anything you've ever done or anything, that doesn't count towards righteousness. It doesn't count that, that it doesn't earn us anything. That instead, it's the Father that's graciously given us this inheritance within his kingdom that we live out today, but we look forward to another day when there's no sin and, and no anything. And, and that our desire then is not to just keep this for ourselves, to, to keep things the same way that they always were, perhaps, to, to keep things the way we want them, but instead being willing to say, well, when I give grace over here, that doesn't mean I lose it. It doesn't mean I lose anything, but God's kingdom gains and expands and multiplies by the level of grace and peace that we give to others. God multiplying his love, his kingdom love over and over and over and over. And, and that's what Jesus was doing when he was hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors to, to expand God's kingdom love to include more and more and more people who get counted with the same inheritance, no one losing anything. So the story's unfinished, though. Because when the father was talking to the, the older brother, he was still on the outside of the party. He was still unable to celebrate. And it makes us wonder, what? Will, will the older brother, will the Pharisees ever be reconciled with
the sinners and tax collectors? Will the, the Pharisees ever be able to show God's love and extend a hand of grace to the sinners and tax collectors? Will, will they be able to join together to celebrate? Because at one point, I'm pretty sure they're going to be forced to. <laughs> right? That idea of coming into the new kingdom and joyfully celebrating and being at the same table on a feast that we cannot even imagine. People of different races, ethnicities, language, tribes, tongues, gathering all in one place, no matter if they were the Pharisee or they were the person who, who left the faith and came back, they're all going to gather again to exclaim God's glory and his grace and his mercy, his power of redeeming them from wherever they were, uniting them as one. We have the opportunity to just experience a small glimpse of that today as we, we gather together as people from different homes, people still in their homes, people here as we gather together for the sacrament of communion where Jesus himself, through the power of the Spirit, unites us as one body doesn't matter if you counted yourself there or here, we become one body. So let's pray as we um, head into our time of communion together. Lord, we thank you that your love and grace does not change. That, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, that it's a never-ending, never-stopping, always-and-forever love that it's a pursuing love, that it pursues those who are lost, but it even pursues and desires those who are found and celebrates them. So we pray that you would cause us, cause us to, to be experiencing the compassion, cause us to understand grace at a whole new level that we are able to offer it to others when it's undeserved. That's what grace is. Undeserved favor. So we thank you for that undeserved favor in our lives. And that undeserved favor that you will extend through us to other people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. One of the ways we understand God grace is by participating in in communion uh, and before we get into it if anyone does not have communion elements they are um, the wonderful difficult to open variety again uh, if you don't have one raise your hand Shelly is ready to bring one to you but we, we come remembering the love that Jesus had for us. Emily was talking about how the grace that we experience is free. It, it comes to us undeserved favor from God to us, but it did come at a price. And it was Jesus who paid that price 
on our behalf that we would be able to be restored and renewed to full sonship with God. Jesus did it before we could do anything to earn our own salvation. Before we could even make one move towards God, Jesus moved all the way, just like the Father ran all the way to the Son once he saw him. So we share in communion together through, through elements where Jesus will unite us with each other and with himself. And as we begin, uh, Logan, will you put up a slide? I, I don't have it. There we go. Let us lift up our hearts. Let us give thanks to our Lord, our God. Let's pray to, pray to the Lord right now. Lord, it's with joy that we praise you as a gracious and loving, merciful Father, as, as one who graced us by creating this earth, as one who gave us grace by creating us with minds to think and bodies to act. You've, you've made us in your image, and, and you've graced us by giving us a covenant with you by the way of Jesus' blood. Recognizing that even when we fall into sin, you do not leave us there, but you desire us to come back to you. So we give thanks for Jesus, who has done all of the work in your salvation plan. That who, by his his life, his living with sinners and tax collectors, and, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection that would come three days later, that you have opened up to us an inheritance of eternal life with you. So we join our voices together in thanks. We join our minds and our hearts together with all the, the saints in heaven, all the angels and all of creation that proclaims your glory and your honor. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.